This Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk is with Dr. George Friedman, the chairman and founder of Stratfor, the world's leading intelligence company. He's the author of the recently published book, Flashpoints, The Emerging Crisis in Europe, as well as several other New York Times bestsellers, including The Next Hundred Years and The Next Decade. Dr. Friedman, in your book, you identify critical flashpoints that may lead to conflict. Let's turn first to Russia. How close are we, in your estimation, to a new Cold War, and are the United States and Russia's interests so different that this is the new normal? Well, we're in a new Cold War already. Certainly nothing like the old one, but the hostility between the United States and Russia is real, and the disagreements and challenges between them are very real. Ukraine is of fundamental importance to Russia as a buffer against the West. The rise of Russia, its reemergence as an empire, would threaten fundamental American interests in Europe. And so these two countries now are very much toe-to-toe. Uh, -to -toe. In fact, as we speak, the Russians are carrying out some major exercises, military exercises, and some of those include uh, simulated nuclear weapons. So the Russians are certainly taking this seriously, as are the Americans. Another rivalry that has existed for a very long time is the one between France and Germany. In fact, wars have been fought over this. Is, is this a potential flashpoint that we should be concerned about? I don't think it's a flashpoint in the sense that it's going to turn into a war. It is an area of growing friction on certain matters. Uh, the Germans want the French to be more restrained in their deficits, and the French have reached the point they want the Germans to be more giving on uh, austerity. So there are fundamental differences dividing them. Uh, but it would be very surprising to me if that would lead to conflict. You know, in your book, you, you stress that Germany's economy is 50% dependent on exports. Right. Well, this is certainly a, a, a challenge for, for Germany. What, what are its options? Well, in the first place, we have to recognize that Germany is an enormously vulnerable country. We think of it as uh, overpowering. In fact, it's built its economy on a base of sand. Uh, the challenge is that uh, it's almost impossible for a country the size of Germany, the fourth largest in the world, to maintain its uh, exports at this level permanently. At some point, they're going to drop off. And as they drop off, it will certainly impact the German economy substantially leading to unemployment and other matters. In fact, one of the things that I've heard said is by other Europeans that the Germany's prime export is unemployment. If so, uh, the consequences of a decline in those exports of goods to the rest of Europe, as well as the rest of the world, are going to put Germany in a very difficult position. How can Germany reconcile its interest with those of Southern Europe? They're almost irreconcilable the way the German economy is structured. Uh, the German economy is much too large for the German economy to absorb. It is built on exports. The southern European economies can develop unless they have a, an ability to export themselves and build up their own economies. Uh, the crisis that we have right now of massive unemployment in southern Europe, unemployment at about the levels of unemployment during the American uh, Great Depression um, grows out of German, the German economy's tendency to push everything else aside. So the interest of the Germans in exporting, which is real and profound, the interests of the Southern Europeans in 
getting breathing space to build their own economies makes them pretty much incompatible at this point. You have been a student of Vladimir Putin for a long time, and there's been all these rumors in the last few days about what happened when he was absent for over a week. What do you think is happening? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm back in the 1970s doing criminology. It's very hard to tell what happened, but the explanation that he just took a few days off to work doesn't work. Uh, he missed the signing of a treaty. Uh, he missed a meeting with a leader of a foreign country. He knew perfectly well that at a time when he was being pressed against the ropes on the economy and on his behavior in the Ukraine, that this sort of behavior would raise the question of whether or not there was some sort of instability in Russia, some sort of coup. Uh, knowing that, he clearly could have and should have appeared somewhere in the third or fourth day and set aside the rumors. He didn't. My suspicion is he didn't because he couldn't. Whether this was because there was a coup that he overcame hmm. or because uh, of other reasons that I can't fathom, uh, it is not likely that it was something that he chose not to do, chose to allow the crisis to develop. You're a professional forecaster. If Putin were no longer on the scene, what do you think would happen? Well, first we have to understand, not to personalize the Russian regime, the foundation of the Russian regime has always been the state uh, security apparatus, and this goes back to the Tsars. When Boris Yeltsin was in power and Russia was in desperate trouble uh, from his policies, it was almost certain that if Russia would recover, it would recover because the intelligence and security apparatus would assert itself. It did. It happened that the person who led that, the KGB officer, was Vladimir Putin. Had it not been Vladimir Putin, it would have been someone else. In this particular case, however, I would say that it's likely that if Putin were pushed aside, it would not be by liberals. It would not be by people who want to uh, calm the situation. The people who are most upset at Putin are those uh, who are even more extremely nationalistic, uh, more extremely concerned about uh, the state of the economy. And these people are going to be even more difficult and dangerous to deal with than Putin was. You used the word nationalistic, and that's a good segue to a question I wanted to ask. And what about the rise in nationalist movements and certainly anti-immigration, primarily, I think, anti-Muslim, but perhaps not, that we're seeing in, in Europe? Well, I mean, there's a couple of uh, processes underway. First, as the European Union fragments, as it no longer operates in the interests of everyone equally, obviously each nation is starting to plot its own course. And plotting its own course, uh, that's what nationalism is. Along with that, there is a feeling that the loss of control of their borders has been one of the things that contributes to Islamic terrorism. I mean, anyone can get in. But that's not the only issue. One of the more important issues in the long run for the Europeans is the free movement of labor. Under the uh, European Union, a Bulgarian can go to Denmark and get a job without any challenge. That poses a real problem for the Danes who have uh, something of an unemployment problem themselves and they want to control uh, the movement of labor. So what's really happening with the question both of Islamic terrorism and the movement of labor is the closing of borders. And the borders are, I think, in the process of closing down, ending a period where Europe could pretend to be one country. 
Dr. Friedman, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about what your views are on what's happening in Israel tonight. Well, tonight uh, there is, the, we're waiting for the returns from elections. Uh, we've had the first exit polls, which are always somewhat inaccurate. However, it appears to be that once again Israel is deadlocked. Uh, the two parties are almost identical, uh, and neither have even half the number of votes they need to form a coalition. So once again, they're going to have to piece together a coalition from the multitude of parties that exist. One of the peculiarities of the Israeli political system is that it is you've, you don't vote uh, for a person and they don't run in a district. You vote nationally for a slate of candidates uh, on a party ticket. And by whatever percentage they win, they get in. That means that even the smallest parties can win one or two or three seats. And each of these parties is ideological. Each has to be satisfied. So whoever wins, they're going to pretty much get a government that looks like this, with or without the personality of Netanyahu. So we have a lot to follow over the course of the next few weeks. Indeed. This has been Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. I want to thank Dr. George Friedman for being with us tonight and want to remind you that he is the author of the new book, Flashpoints, The Emerging Crisis in Europe. To learn more about the World Affairs Councils of America and individual councils in your community, please go to worldaffairscouncils.org. And for information about Stratfor, go to stratfor.com. Thanks so much for listening.